Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. I can hope for good things in the future. I can hope for times of refreshing to come from the presence of the Lord. I can visualize a new thing. God's going to do a new thing. And you know, we've been believing that for a long time, that God's going to do a new thing. And perhaps we're on the verge of that new thing, even right now. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Isaiah chapter 42, verse 10, through chapter 43, verse 28. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Now, it it might not work out exactly the way you're imagining. You might look at it and say, okay, this means, uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to get burnt. This means uh, nothing's going to happen. It doesn't necessarily mean that, but what it does mean in some cases that God is with you and he's going to bring you through. Now, for some, it, it might even be more specific. So you see, this is where, because the Holy Spirit is the Lord, he's the living God, and because we're living out our lives, the Lord will bring his word and he will apply it to our circumstances. And this, this is one of the most amazing things of all time, um, where you just, you find that God, by his sovereign power, he just brings all of these little things together. We heard the story today from one of our pastors. We were having a little pastor's gathering on Zoom, and we were just telling some stories, encouraging one another about some of what God's doing. And one of our pastors, Julian, was telling us about this uh, amazing connection with this with this particular lady over the phone this week, and how uh, he'd had a conversation with her, and then that that conversation got cut off prematurely. He had no idea how to reconnect with her. He was concerned that he wasn't able to finish up with the ministry tour, and and then one of the things that our pastors are doing is they're they're actually reaching out on the phone to every single person who is on our a list of names, you know, that we have. So. Uh, several thousand people, they're reaching out to them, giving them a phone call. So amazingly, he, he calls us one house and he starts talking to, uh, I think, one of the grown children that was there. And the grown child started explaining the mother's dilemma. Uh, then, you know, the lady had a little bit of a difficult time speaking English. But anyway, she said, well, let me get my mother on the phone. She gets her on the phone. Come to find out this is the same woman that he was talking to earlier and had been cut off from and didn't know how to get in touch with. And this number turns up out of 500 numbers on a page that he's supposed to give a call to and just ask them how they're doing and pray for him. It happens to be this lady. And then he's telling us even more details about how they had all these weird commonalities, how she had an ailment that was something that his family had gone through and, and he had actually prayed for his mother with that illness and she had been healed. All of this wild stuff. Point is, God is at work in the lives of his people. And you can bet on it. You can stand on it. And you can take this great promise of Isaiah 43, 2 and 3. And listen, if you're going through the fire, if you're going through a flood, stand on this passage. Because the promise is 
that the Lord will be with you. When you go through the water, and the idea is, is out of a flood, when you go through that raging water, the Lord's going to be with you. The river is not going to overflow you. It's not going to sink you. It's not going to drown you. When you walk through the fire, you're not going to be burned. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now, back to the original context. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba. In your place, since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. So this is talking about God bringing his people back to the land. That's the promise that he's given them. Now, he did do that at the end of the 70-year captivity, but it was a partial return. Not everybody returned. They remained scattered among the nations. Many of them remained scattered among those nations by choice. But so this is where we see that this prophecy is actually going beyond the return from Babylon. It's going out to the future. And it's going out to days that are not yet fulfilled where God is going to bring back to the land of Israel. He's going to bring his people from basically the four winds of the earth, the north, south, the east, the west, all of these areas that he refers to here. And in the last 20 years or so, closer to 30 years now, there's been this massive immigration into Israel. And when you talk about the Lord saying he was going to bring them from the north, you know, the farthest north of Jerusalem as you go up is into Russia. And you think of all of the Jews that immigrated back to the land of Israel uh, from Russia, tens of hundreds of thousands, if not millions. And so in a sense, you see these prophecies actually being somewhat fulfilled in our time. So the Lord goes on and he speaks of his sons and his daughters, everyone who is called by my name, who, whom I have created for my glory. I have formed him, or we can say them. Yes, I have made them. He's speaking of men and women. And then he says, bring out the blind who have eyes and the deaf who have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? So here God is putting forth a challenge. And as I pointed out before, and as we're going to see as we go through here, one of the things that God says proves that he is actually the Lord is his ability to tell the future. And so he's constantly challenging the idols of the day, these false gods, uh, to, to basically to a, um, like a duel, you know, we're going we're gonna to have a, a duel here. And let's see, you tell us things that you have predicted in, in olden times that have happened. And you tell us now things are going to happen in the future. And then the Lord will always come back and say, you can't do it. Oh, only he can do it. And so here, again, he's presenting that challenge to them. Show us the former things. Let them bring out their witnesses that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say it is true. Um, but then he says, you, speaking to Israel, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. 
Before me, there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. Beside me, there is no Savior. I have declared and saved. So God is claiming to be the one and only true God. There was no God before me. There will be no God after me. There is one and one only God, the true God, the living God, the God of Israel. That's his claim. I have proclaimed there was no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Indeed, before the day was, I am he. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work and who will reverse it. Verse 13, indeed, before the day was, before the day was, before there was ever a day, before creation, in other words, God God is saying that he has existed forever, eternally. He's the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. And so, again, he challenges, uh, who can deliver out of my hand? I work and who can reverse it? And these are rhetorical questions. The answer is no one. And God is is proving that. So thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, the Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. And so we can see here very clearly, I'm going to send to Babylon and I'm going to bring them down. And that's what God did. He brought the Babylonians down I am the Lord, your creator. And then verse 16, thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Now you you have to think about this. I mean, he's talking to a people who have absolutely zero power. They have no power whatsoever. Basically, they're slaves in the land of Babylon, like they had been in the land of Egypt. The Babylonians are, are this great world power. They're this, this mighty, invincible military power. And so what can Israel do? Nothing. They can't do anything. They can't free themselves. There is no possible way. It's the same kind of a situation, as I mentioned, watching the Second World War, when the the Nazi military machine would come into, you know, the the various places like going into Prague, into Czechoslovakia, into France, into um, Vienna, uh, these different places, they would come in and they would literally just take over these countries. And there was nothing that anybody could do to stop them. Zero. You had no power. They had complete authority and power over the people at that point. And and it wasn't until someone from the outside came and liberated them and with much effort and much loss of life to set them free. But this is the predicament that Israel is in. They have zero power and they're under this invincible military force that has literally conquered basically the known world at the time. But God is saying to them, I am gonna deliver you. I am gonna set you free. I'm going to make a way. I'm going to deal with the horses and the chariots and all of these invincible weapons. I'm, I'm going to move them out of the way and liberate you. And that is the God that we serve. There's nothing that's too hard for the Lord. There's no 
military force that's stronger than he is. There's no power that can resist his will ultimately. And one day, God will prove that. And he demonstrated it already in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the greatest power that no human being can resist or overthrow is the power of death. And yet Jesus, he did it. He defeated death. He rose from the dead. We're going to talk about that. But listen to this. Verse 18. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. I love this promise here. God promises to do a new thing. Now, again, he's going to do this for the people. He's going to do this for the nation. But we can take this, and and there are times in our lives when we can look back, and maybe there's Maybe there's been captivity, maybe there's been bondage, maybe there's been years of oppression, or maybe there's been places where we've just been stripped down to nothing and and practically beaten down to the dust. And we just think, how can I ever overcome this? How can I ever get beyond this? And the Lord speaks and he says, do not remember the former things. You know, the beautiful thing about the gospel is it gives us the opportunity to leave the past behind. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And so here's God just saying that he's gonna do something new and it's gonna be so amazing a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, unless you live in the desert, you don't know how wonderful this picture is. But if you live in the desert, you know what a beautiful thing it is to have rivers in the desert. Well, God's just talking about this this wonderful, refreshing thing that he's gonna do. The beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, uh, these, these animals that you know desperately need waters to be sustained. He says, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. And so he's talking about his ability to refresh us and to provide for us and to pour out a a bountiful blessing, even although we have maybe just been parched because we've been in a deserted place. He's able to do that. And, and I, love, I love this passage because it just even today speaks to me about God's promises for the future. And yes, of course, the, the bigger application is the future for the nation of Israel. But it's also an application for us because look what it goes on and it says. It says to give drink to my people, my chosen This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. And you know, we can say this about ourselves as the church. We can say that God would say concerning the church, this people I have formed for myself. You find that all over the New Testament. We are the chosen, we are the elect. You did not choose me, I chose you. And so again, application to Israel, yes, but application to us as well. And so 
When I look at this verse or these verses, I just think of how I can hope for good things in the future. I can hope for times of refreshing to come from the presence of the Lord. I can visualize a new thing. God's going to do a new thing. And, you know, we've been believing that for a long time, that God's going to do a new thing. And perhaps we're on the verge of that new thing, even right now. Because as I've pointed out before, when God has historically poured out his spirit in significant ways where large numbers of people have turned to faith, it has almost always been in the context of distress, difficulty, challenging times. It's almost always in that context. And we find ourselves right now, as I'm speaking to you, we are in that kind of a situation. And could it be that it's a precursor to this new thing that God will yet do in the future? I'm believing that. I'm hoping for that. I'm praying for that. I'm trusting in that. Again, these are verses that I can go back in Bibles I have, and I've got dates written beside them where God really spoke these things to me. And I have believed these for my own life and for the ministry and and for the church. And so again, let's lay hold of these promises and let's, let's expect God to do those new things. But then he goes on, verse 22, but you have not called upon me, O Jacob. So he's talking about a people that are gonna declare his praise, but now he goes back to Jacob, but you haven't called upon me, Jacob. And you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep of your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have bought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities." So here God is just expressing the, really just the, in a sense, the sadness of his own heart that all that he had done for his people, that they did not reciprocate, that they did not appreciate him, that they did not thank him, that they did not offer to him. But instead of doing that, they burdened him with their sins. But then he says this beautiful thing in verse 25, I, even I am he, who blots out your transgression for my own sake. And you know, that's the gospel right there. Blotting out our transgressions, blotting them out as though they never were committed. And and why does God do that? He says, I blot out your your transgressions for my own sake. You see, that's the gospel right there. It's not for our sake. It's not because we deserve it. It's not because we somehow merited it. God does it for his own sake because he is who he is, because he is the God who loves, because he is the God who prefers mercy over judgment. And so for his own namesake, he blots out transgression and he says, I will remember your sins no more. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. 
Your first fathers sinned and your mediators have transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary. I will give Jacob to the curse and Israel to reproaches. So again, he's just reminding them that he's blotting out their transgressions, not for anything in them, not because of anything that they've done. Your first father sinned. Who's he talking about? Probably Adam. Some think maybe Abraham seems more consistent with Adam. Our first father sinned. In other words, the human race has been sinning since the very beginning. Adam sinned and we've all followed suit. But what does God do? Like I was saying earlier, you would expect and you would think if we ever just for one minute got a hold of our the, the reality of our own wickedness, you would completely understand how God would be justified in just completely obliterating the entire human race, that he would judge us. But what does he do? He says, no, I blot out your transgressions. That's what he has chosen to do. And, and that, my friends, is, again, that's the gospel. The good news that we, although we've sinned, although we have become separated from God by our own choices and lived in rebellion to him, that he chose to blot out our transgressions. And he did that by taking the penalty of our sin upon himself and dying in our place. And that's where the cross comes into the picture. And that's what Jesus did. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead. And in rising from the dead, he showed that the sacrifice that he made for our sins did indeed pay the price. And he showed his victory over sin and the grave. And that same victory he gives to us freely who put our faith and trust in him. If you don't know this Savior, if you don't know this God, if you maybe even uh, you find yourself in, in the middle of a flood, maybe you find yourself being scorched by a fire and you wonder, is there any hope? Is there any deliverance? Is there any way out of this? The answer is yes, there is. There is a way out. Maybe you're filled with fear. Maybe you're worried to death about the prospects of you getting sick and dying or somebody that you know and care for. All of those things are very real. And let me just say this, that Jesus, he is the one who can take away that fear. He can take away that anxiety. He can take it all away because he is the one who, as he would say in the book of Revelation, he is the one who was dead, but behold, he said, I am alive forever. And I have the keys, meaning I have the authority over death and the grave. And as we receive him, as we just yield our lives to him, we become his children. And we become the recipients of eternal life that begins today with the blessing of God upon our lives. So if you would like to receive Christ, if you've never done that, I want you just to say this simple prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I confess that and I ask you to save me. And I thank you that you died in my place to pay the price for my sin. I give my life to you. Thank you, amen.
to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 15 New Testament Words of Life, a New Testament Theology for Real Life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. Words can change their meaning over time, or they can carry a different meaning depending on the context in which they are used. So what is the meaning today of words in the Bible like faith, grace, hope, or peace? Do these words still have the same meaning today? Do you really understand what they mean in the Bible? These words not only have a rich history of meaning that is found within the whole Bible, but they also have a powerful significance for our lives today. You'll learn what it means to know God, to be changed by His favor, and how to lean into a redeemed future with an expectation of wholeness, goodness, and harmony. This book will bring theology into your life in a very practical way, as Nietzsche helps you to reflect on how each of the 15 words might look like in everyday life. If you're interested in what the New Testament has to say about God, God's people, or God's world, then you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book 15 New Testament Words of Life, a New Testament theology for real life by Dr. Nijay Gupta, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.